God has done a very special work in my life. I never, I, I never anticipated God doing what He did. I wasn't really interested in reading the Bible or praying or preaching. Uh, you know, I was minding my own business, living in sin. And God, He came after me. And He said, I've got to do something with that guy or before He destroys Himself and everybody else connected with Him. And so, uh, let me back up a little bit to when I came to the city. I was seven and a half years old. My first experience was with New York was a young guy uh, came after me. Actually, he was big to me. I was seven and a half. He was like 11. And he started chasing me through the streets. And he had this knife. And he stabbed me right in my chest. That was my first experience. But it was one of those trick blades where it goes into the handle, you know. And, and he stood there going, ha, 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 ha. But I died in my heart, you see. I was dead. I, I was looking for blood. I was, you know, my heart was pounding away. And I, and I thought, this is a different place. I, New York City is going to, there's going to be some interesting experiences that I'm going to learn here. So as an eight-year-old little boy, I began to become very protective, the survival of the fittest. And I was going to be the fittest. So if anybody looked at me the wrong way, I'd kick him. I was very good in soccer. I would kick him. And uh, then I'd ask questions while he was, you know, moaning and groaning. And, and I developed a, a real bad reputation of being crazy, which was good because they leave you alone usually when they think you're crazy. And so I went through junior high school that way in high school. And, and it was, I guess, in the fifth grade when I started really getting into the guitar. And I got a rock group together. By the time we were in junior high school, we played for the prom. I played for the uh, my high school prom as well. You know, I don't know if any of, have any of you gone to any secular high schools. Let me see your hands. Well, you know what it's like in a prom. I went to a, I went to a, a school, George Washington High School, just to give you an idea what it was like. There was a busload of police officers in the front of the school with helmet and, and sticks and tear gas, the works, stationed all day in front of the school because of the riots that were breaking out and the people that were getting killed. Guys were getting killed in the school. Now, I was the drug pusher in this school called George Washington High School, northern Manhattan. And uh, I, uh, I thought that, you know, I'm really living it up. I was uh, doing what I wanted to do, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. I didn't have any concept of God. I was a uh, heathen, hair down the middle of my back, selling drugs, making lots of money, doing my thing, playing, you know, my music all over the city and nightclubs and discotheques and making records, going into that whole lifestyle. And then God began through a series of events to kind of get my attention. Vicky and I were living together. We started, you know, I mean, I was on every drug you can think of, marijuana, opium, hash, coke, LSD, heroin, everything. And, uh, you know, we, we were very empty, however, because although we were doing the things we wanted to do that we felt were right, we weren't happy. It was very monotonous after a while. You know, uh, you know, you do one thing and you can only get so much joy out of that and then you try something else and, and that doesn't make it and you're going down dead-end streets all the time. And I really felt like there had to be something different. And right about that time, we started taking some LSD from out here. Uh, it was called Purple Osley. It was very powerful. And we really didn't know what this stuff was, but it destroyed many, many different types of people that we knew. And this particular night, we took the stuff. Everybody went insane that took it. It was just very powerful. As a matter of fact, I started visualizing these six-foot snakes coming at me and a lion and all kinds of things. And Vicky did not take it that night. And thank God she didn't because she was really the salvation of everybody else that night because I really believe Satan was trying to kill us that night. There were tremendous demonic forces there. One girl ripped her clothes off. She jumped on a six-story window, smashed the, the windows, and proceeded to jump out. We grabbed her. We threw her in a bathtub. I mean, that was the cr a crazy lifestyle. I really started 
shaking and crying out for God and asking God to help me. And, and I think in, in, in the mercy and in the grace of God, he just kind of responded to the fearful cry of a heathen in, in sending people to speak to me. Now, it didn't happen until about a month later. I wound up in a mental institution. I, I thought I was a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. I was walking around with a cross, you know, and staring in the sun, trying to get messages from God by looking at the television tube late, late at night after the late, late show. You know, there's nothing on and it just, you know, it's, there's nothing. And I'm like, you know, tune in, God, I'm here, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it was really sad. And in that mental institution, I met all kinds of interesting people, you know, like Abraham Lincoln was there, Napoleon was there. I, I met everybody. And I was... I was uh, really disoriented because they told me I was going to have group therapy and, I, and I, they locked me up and tied me up and gave me shock treatments for 10 days every single day. And the world does not know how to solve the problems of men's empty hearts and the sin that binds them. I thank God that he allowed me to go through all this stuff so that I can see once I saw the light that it was really light and that in contrast to all the darkness that I had been involved in. And so when I was in Central Park, I got, by the way, it was interesting how I got out. My brother, who's very persuasive, I don't know if you know any Greeks that are unsaved and, and mean, but he went to the doctor and he told, the, I told my, I said, Jimmy, you got to get me out of here. They're going to, they drive me crazy. I'm in a mental institution now, you know, and, and he said, and I said, you got to do something. So he said, I'll get you out. So he went to the, you know, the head doctor and he, he persuaded him to, to let me out. He told him, he says, if my brother doesn't come out today, you're not going home today. He says, I'm going to take care of you. So the guy immediately sighed me out. Thank God for my brother Jimmy. I got out of that place and uh, I went to Central Park. I can remember I was sitting at Bethesda Fountain. There is a fountain in Central Park called Bethesda Fountain with a big angel. Just the way it was in John chapter 5 and where all the sickies went. All the, you know, lame and blind and deaf and and all the lepers, and they're still there, by the way. I went, I went there in Central Park, and I sat there, and I saw a group of guys over here playing the conga drums, you know, some Puerto Rican guys. You know, they're doing their thing. I saw another guy, a couple of guys over here smoking some marijuana. I, I, I looked over there. There were a bunch of Hare Krishna, about 30 or 40 of them, you know, with long ponytails and no hair, and, you know, jumping around going, Hare Krishna, you know, doing all this. Then I looked over there at the other corner and there was a bunch of guys throwing a frisbee and catching it and they were all really, ex I mean, then I said, what am I doing here? These people are crazy. What am I doing here? And I began to look at myself in my life, having gone through that whole atmosphere of total hypocrisy, of talking about love, joy, and peace with no understanding or reality to those words. And I realized that, you know what happened? I kind of almost you know, took myself and put myself in eternity in my mind. And I looked back and I thought, what kind of life am I having? And I think God is the one who makes people think that way and causes their conscience to ask these questions. And as I sat there thinking of what I was involved in, I said, hey, I don't want this. I wish there was a way to know what life was all about, where I came from, what I'm doing and where I'm going. And that day I hitchhiked all the way up to a place called Lake George where I used to, I used to play at a Jewish camp. I went to this Jewish camp and... I got kicked out of the camp because I still had my drugs with me. I was turning everybody on. and So they kicked me out. And I went back into Lake George and I was leading a bunch of hippies. Uh, we were talking about peace. And I went to find God up in the mountains, you know, and I found a bunch of hippies up there. So uh, we were going through the streets talking about peace, throwing garbage cans through the windows of the stores. And 
That didn't make it, and they took me and threw me into the uh, uh, prison there in the Lake George Jail, and I sat there thinking, well, Jesus Christ was persecuted. I must be, you know, getting persecuted here. So uh, very, really warped, uh, totally warped. And I got out of jail, and uh, that's when I met this guy who started, he came up to me, he said, can I talk to you about spiritual things? I mean, right on the street. And I thought, uh-oh, this guy's the devil. You know, because I'm Jesus Christ, remember? And, uh, and, uh, so, and I was reading a book about the last temptation of Christ by a Greek, Kassanzidis. And, and anyway, so I began, to, I even asked him, are you the devil? He said, no, my name's Bruce. And uh, so he began, he began, he began to uh, take, he took out a little black book from his pocket. And he had all my answers in that black book. I mean, every time I'd ask something, and this guy was patient, because we must have been there for two hours. And I thought, I can't believe it. This guy's Jesus Christ. Because uh, now I thought the real Jesus came down and set me straight, see. And so he, and he acted like Jesus Christ. He was nice and calm and everything. And uh, so uh, he invited me to go to a place called Word of Life Island. And I thought, man, he's taking me to heaven. I know. He's going to take me to paradise. And so I said, sure, I'll go. And I got into a van, and when I, I went up to this place and got into a boat, and, uh, and the boat, the tip of the boat just came right up out of the water. And I thought, I knew it, I knew it. And, I, and this thing just went, and I thought, here I go. This is fantastic. I got to the other side. I got to the other side, and God was waiting for us. I mean, this guy with white hair, short little guy, just jumps up out of this rocking chair. I thought it was a rocking chair. And he, and he comes right at me, and he hugs me. Now, that's very uncool in New York. You don't hug people you don't know. You know, you just don't do that. And this guy's like, I don't know this guy. And he's hugging me. And he said, and he had this huge Bible about ten times the size of this. And he's, and he's saying, this is the word of God. This is what you need. He just, I walked away thinking, this was God. I just met him. And I walked away. Went, I went up this hill. It had just rained. The mist was still in the air from the rain, you know, and it looked like paradise. I don't know if you could imagine what Manhattan looks like, you know, all these cats running through and taxis and millions of people everywhere and smog and, you know, abandoned cars and all kinds of stuff like that. Unless you go over to the east side and uh, down lower Manhattan, then you got a couple of nice buildings with trees around them. But uh, in, in, at, Word of Life, at Word of Life Island, they got these huge trees, beautiful place, mountains all around. And the sun was just breaking through the clouds. And I thought, this is paradise. I'm here. I'm walking through. And this moss on the ground, it just kind of, it was just gorgeous. I get to the cabin, and there they were, the 12 apostles. They were all waiting for me. The guys' names were Matthew, Mark, Peter. They were all there. I'm tell- I didn't know all their names, see, but I knew they were the 12 apostles. And the night uh, came, and they turned the lights off, and they began to talk to Jesus like he was really there. Now, we never did this in the Greek Orthodox Church. I don't know how many, any Greek Orthodox, former Greek Orthodox around here? Okay, how, how about some Catholics? Any, any people that had been involved with Catholicism? Okay, you know how they pray. The, you know, the, the priests and the altar boys. I was an altar boy. The Greek Orthodox Church. We used to walk around once a year. We, you know, the Bible says, let your light shine. Right? So once a year, the Greek Orthodox Church, Easter time, they go out with these crosses in the street, do a radius of 10 blocks. They got the candles, and they let their light shine, and that's it. One day a week, uh, one day a year. So that's what they think is let your light shine out, out of the world. Uh, but you see, and I used to pray, the Lord's Prayer. I never even understood what I was saying. In front of the whole Greek Orthodox Church. These guys were talking to Jesus like he was really there. 
It scared me to death. I was standing there. I was, sh- I mean, I was sitting just kind of thinking, what is going on here? They're really talking. To- These are the 12 apostles. I can't believe it. And then there was a real silence after the last one. And somebody went like that to me. And I thought, oh, they want me to say something. I said, good night, fellas. I'll see you in the morning. You know, I just was so scared. I didn't want to, I didn't know what was going on. The next morning, I began to look for Jesus. I knew he was on the island somewhere. Everybody was talking about him. I mean, I'd go up to somebody and he'd say, oh, isn't the Lord wonderful? Let me tell you what he said to me. And I'm like, where is he talking? You know, what's going on? Now, you have to understand, I never read the Bible. I really understood nothing about this kind of life. Coming out of a whole drug culture, I had just been on LSD. I mean, I'm, you know, eating lilies, you know, and stuff like this. And here these people are talking about these so finally, I was looking for him. I knew I, he had to be somewhere. And I, I walked all over the 90-acre island, everywhere. Finally, I went up to somebody that looked like Jesus more than the rest of them. And I, you know, I thought I found him. And I said, you know, Jesus is on this island somewhere, isn't he? And I thought he was going to say, yeah, you found me. He didn't. He said, well, I was just talking to him down by the lake. You want to go down there? And so we went down by the lake. And, you know, I was expecting to see a few angels, a throne, walk into, a, you know, something. I don't know what. And he opened the Bible to John 3.16. And he proceeded to share with me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that may be old stuff to you, but it wasn't to me, and it still isn't. I hope it doesn't ever get old to you, that God so loved the world. Now, he didn't just love it. He loved it with emphasis, and he still loves it with emphasis. And that's why he's patient and long-suffering, and he wants none to perish but that all should come to repentance. The druggies, the homos, the transvestites, even the good moral people. Even the people that are nice and clean on the outside but rotten on the inside. And God loves this world so much. He loved me that Jesus Christ took my place on the cross. Even though I was blaspheming God. Even though I was cursing at God. Even though I was abusing his name and and everything about my life was rotten and no good. God just kept on coming. As a matter of fact, it was so bad. I, I, I don't usually share this. The day, that, the day that I was witness to, I was standing in a field that, that was raining. It was raining. And I thought I was manipulating the sky and the, and the, and the elements. I, was so, I think demons must have had control of my life. And I was screaming out at God and I was shaking my hand in God's face. And I was saying, and I was crying out, I am! Just like that. In total arrogance and pride and, and egotism. And God just responded with love rather than say hey squirt i'll show you who you are you know and god is so good and so he sent the greatest power he has not the power of his judgment but the power of his mercy and his forgiveness and his gospel to me because that is the power of god the salvation everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the what that's me you know, and it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful that God is merciful to sinners. And uh, I got saved that day. I realized that Jesus Christ was not just a curse word. I realized that he was real and alive. And Greeks have a saying. I don't care who, who they are, whether they're atheist Greeks or Muslim Greeks. I don't care what they are. If you say to them, every one of them, now you can quote me on this and you can write this down. If you say to any Greek, Christos Anesti, Christos Anesti, in Greek means Christ is risen. They will say to you, they will respond back to you, and they'll say this. They'll say, Alithos Anesti, which means truly risen. 
because they're hypnotized from the moment they're born and they're brainwashed and this lofty, wonderful truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't mean a thing. It's just like, you know, good morning and good night and it's, it's just an old, you know, it's what the unsaved people sing during Christmas time and, don't, and they understand nothing about what they're talking about. The same exact thing. It's so sad. But I realized for the first time in my life that Jesus Christ not only died for my sins, but that he arose again and that he was alive and he wanted to change me. And he did. When I let him, I, I remember praying and asking him to forgive me of my ego, my pride, my selfishness. I asked him to come into my life and change my life. All the things that I was involved in, the drugs, the immorality, the rock and roll, the things that I had been involved in in New York City, just flashed in my mind, the rebellion. I knocked my principal out in a fight in, in high school. I was really wild, I, you know, and God just, he just took all of that junk in my life and, and he let Christ carry it on the cross. And he saved my life. He saved my soul. He saved uh, my destiny. I, I know I would be dead and in hell today if I had not responded the way I did. I buried four close friends as a result of the kind of lifestyle I was living. And they died. They didn't respond. I did. And my girlfriend was back in New York City. I called her up. I told her I met Jesus. She said, who? And she came up there and I shared with her how Jesus Christ forgave and cleansed me. And she stood there, uh, a woman that had been living with a guy that now this guy is witnessing to her and telling her how he, for, he got saved. He was forgiven. He had a new life. And she started weeping and crying. And it would be wonderful sometime to hear it from her. But uh, she said to me, I feel so dirty. And she was crying. I didn't know what to do with her. I mean, you know, what do you do with your girlfriend? She's crying over there and, and you're trying to, I never did this before. And so I said, look, uh, you know, he forgave me. He cleaned me up. He can do the same for you. And, he, and she prayed, and, and, I, and she got saved. Do you know, God put a holy fear in my life and in her life to live a clean and holy life. I didn't even hold her hand from that day on. Now, I don't know if you know what that means to people that have been sleeping together, you know, and that are now both Christians. As a matter of fact, God helped me out a little bit. He sent me to a very interesting school called Bob Jones University. I needed, I needed some kind of reinforcement to the will of God in my life. And uh, they, they really helped along. Uh, we, she went to one side of the campus and I went to the other side and then we saw one another the day we got married not really but uh, almost like that God allowed me to learn a lot of wonderful lessons down there about discipline and about respect and uh, how to order my life according to his word now I'm not I'm not in agreement with any place in the world I don't think I agree with everything I do even but I, I, I think that uh, there, are, there are good things that you can glean from every place uh, in this world if you'll be open to God's spirit and if you're in the word of God and then we got married and God sent us uh, five beautiful children four girls and one boy and uh, it's just exciting really exciting to see God working with our lives we didn't know what we were going to do in life I felt I would be an evangelist and I really am I went to New York to be an evangelist in reaching that whole city I look at my ministry as reaching the whole city. I'm going to reach that city if, if it's the last thing I do. I remember crying before going there, and I cried at night, and I would say, God, you have to, you have to help me to reach the city. You know, I'll die if I, if I can't tell these people what you did for me. If you don't make it possible for me to do that, I just won't be able to sleep. I just won't be able to live. I, you have to do this. If you don't do this, I'm not going to be happy. You have to help me to reach New York City with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And recently, after 11 years of uh, ministry there, uh, God allowed 
our story to be printed in the Daily News magazine and how God has saved my life, changed my life, and uh, what he did in our church. Uh, the Daily News is the largest uh, uh, newspaper in this country. Four and a half million uh, people read this for breakfast on Sunday morning when it came out, like it or not, locks and bagels and all. You know, they just had to, you know, who's this guy? And they, they read the story of what God did. And we've been there 11 years. We, uh, I, have, I have one purpose and goal in life, and that is, to, that is to just evangelize this world and get the message out and uh, live as, as, as godly as I can so that I have a platform by which to do that. And so the Lord has allowed Vicky and I to learn through struggles and, and trials and pain. By the way, what time is this thing over? Quarter after. Through uh, trials and, and, and errors because I didn't, go, I didn't go to a church like Grace. I didn't have the background that some of you have. We just went there and said, okay, here goes. You know? And you know what happened? We started a little Bible study. And that thing grew. Then we went into a basement of a tenement house. We met there eight times on Sunday. And uh, because the people just kept coming. We had Greek Bible studies. We had Spanish Bible studies. We had English. But we had kids groups. We were just bringing people left and right. And I was discipling these guys. I didn't know what I was doing. But I was, you know, teaching them how to go on the streets and preach. And uh, it was great. Then God gave us a building and we filled that up. And now God gave us this new building. And let me just uh, mention to you, God is powerful. He's so powerful. I, I prayed for this building across the street. It was a, it was huge. It's a city block long, 200 by 100. And I prayed. I said, God, I can't. Don't give me this building unless you fix it up. You have to fix it up because I don't have any money. And so I, God sent the mafia to fix the building up. That was not my idea. I was uh, thinking of something else, because you know I don't like to deal with those guys. I did, de I, I did deal with the mafia before. I got a gun in my stomach and uh, a bunch of different things. But uh, so I knew these guys, they didn't play games. You know, they need money. They go down the road and get some more. They don't run out of money. So I figured, oh, boy, they'll never get out. And uh, so I, I was really frustrated. I want you to turn in your Bible to a couple of passages. Let's see if we can get to some scripture here. I'm telling you my story, but I don't want to, you know, I just think that uh, <laughs> there's so much I want to say. My heart is My heart is so full. But I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians 1 where it says God, now you don't have to turn to that, just look here for a moment. Where God says that God will use anybody, the weak, the base, to confound the wise. And in conjunction with that passage, I think of uh, 1 Samuel 22 where David's men that were those mighty men, you know who they were? The Bible says they were the outcasts of Israel. And they were the guys that were in debt. You read 1 Samuel 22. They were in debt, they were downcast, and they were distressed. And that's our generation, isn't it? They were, they were, they're in debt, all right. The credit cards are doing great. And they're downcast. They don't, they don't have any hope for the future. They're committing suicide. Suicide's the number one killer today with young people because they look at mom and dad and they're messed up and the society's messed up and they say, what's, what's there to live for? And we're not talking about kids that are growing up in the ghetto. We're talking about the upper middle class. We're talking about young people who see that money's not making it. And fame is not making it, and they're just disgusted. And so God is, you know, I think of that passage that God wants to take people like this and make something out of them, make them some mighty men that he could use. And then I think of a verse of scripture that I read on a, on a, on a top of a building, and I shared this with, with John the other day. And I, I, I saw this verse of scripture on top of a building. I moved to 156th Street in New York City. And I opened the window. And right across, about 15 feet away, 
on top of this building, it's, a, it's an Indian museum, and on all these other sides, it has all this humanistic writing. But this particular wall, in two feet block lettering, if you ever go to New York, I'll take you there. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And it just blew my mind. In the middle of New York City, there's no other building, I'm sure, with that thing on it. I move right next to this verse. I open the window, and I'm like, and the first thought was, he's here. I'm looking around like, you know, God is here. As if he wasn't. Of course he's here, but many times we don't, we don't acknowledge that. We don't live in the God consciousness. We do things without realizing who's empowering us to do it and who's giving us the wisdom and the, the finances and the abilities to do it. Where there is no vision, in those days they would have messages that God would give the prophets. Today we have a vision, don't we? We have a message that he's given us and he's told us to go and preach it. Go and give it out to everybody. We have a message. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he arose again from the dead. That he can change people's lives. And I want to I share some things in closing here about this great gospel that we've got. You know, I have collected for the past, oh, 17 years, stories, little stories of of things that God has used and how he, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how strong you are or how educated you are God will use anything to, to get people saved and he and he has in fact done that one guy was cleaning out his his house the gutter on top of his house and he was cleaning it out and he noticed a, a, a nest birds made a nest up there and he noticed inside the nest was some white stuff and he took out the white stuff and it was it was the third chapter of John and that bird whoever it was led that guy to Christ. He began to read that thing. And it was so, it got him so under conviction, he bowed his head and he thought, if birds can, you know, do this, you know, they, they, they save the Word of God. And this guy got saved. A bird led that guy to Christ. I say, come on. That's, that didn't happen. It did happen. I was in Greece. And a friend of mine, evangelist, a wonderful guy, his name is Apostolos Biatis. Apostolos is, of course, uh, the sent one. He's uh, just one of the most dynamic guys you ever want to meet. He told me about a story of a, of a guy in the border of Greece and Bulgaria. And uh, he was reading his New Testament. He just kind of sat down on a rock and started reading the New Testament and put it down. It was a, it was a little smaller than this. Let me get my Greek one. And he uh, put it down and he went to get something from the office and a dog came by. And the dog carried it across from northern Greece into Bulgaria. And a Bulgarian soldier picked it up and started reading it and got saved and told the story. Now, a dog led that guy to Christ. See, we're, we're sitting there trying to figure out all the, all the, you know, theological polemics of, you know, really getting to these people. We've got to do it, see. You know, we've got to give them all the arguments that they've got to really just fit just so right. That dog didn't know any arguments. That bird didn't know any arguments, did he? Oh, I think of a story in New York City. A young guy named Gabriel who was born in Cuba and went to Russia to study financial economy spoke about seven languages. And this guy became a homosexual and he was going from one drinking party to another in the subway. He, he picked up one of my tracks. I don't know if Vicky's got one. Let me see if I got one. He had called hedonism. I wrote a track when I overdosed. and it, I mean, an ugly looking thing. And, and, and there I am, out like that, and he picked that thing up. I guess he related to it a little. And he began to read it. He read it once. He read it twice. He read it three times. 
he decided he was going to call the number. He, he got out at the next stop. He gave all his boots to his buddies. This was around 10 o'clock in the morning. Called on the phone, and my secretary led him to Christ over the telephone. It was a, it was a stinking piece of paper down on the floor, all messed up and wrinkled that led that guy to Christ. A piece of paper, a bird, a dog. God will use anything. You want to hear another one? In South America. I was, I was down there last, uh, last year, and Joe Jordan, tremendous brother, and he's telling me, and I'm telling you these stories. Now, you can't believe. Every time I tell a story, people come up and give me other stories. They're exciting. I, I just love to collect these things. And Joe tells me, Tom, you got to hear this one. He says, you know this guy over there? And he pointed out a guy that's in his third year at the Bible Institute. He says, you know what that guy used to do? He was a dealer, a coke dealer in Colombia, and he was arrested and he was put in jail. He was cleaning out the garbage can one day, and uh, he saw some paper on the bottom. He picked it up. It was the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, I don't know who's ripping up the third chapter of the Gospel of John and throwing it all over the world, but I'll tell you what, keep doing it. And this guy read that thing and got saved in, in a Colombian prison, and now he's at the World Life Bible Institute, or he just graduated last year, and God will use a garbage can. God will use a garbage can with the gospel in it. He doesn't care where it resides. He'll even use you. If the gospel resides in your life and you're giving it out. If you don't make excuses why you can't. Because you don't know enough. Because you haven't learned enough. There's a guy back in New York City. He's a drug addict. He was a drug addict for 12 years. He... His girlfriend broke up with him. He went home. He had a fight with his, uh, with his, uh, um, I was going to say wife, with his mother. And this guy's name is Joe. He went over, uh, he, I mean, real mean guy. I used to know him when, when I was into drugs and I'd walk across the other side. I was bad, but this guy was bad, bad, bad. He was terrible. And, uh, so Joe went to the park and he sat down in the park and he thought, you know, this life is really messed up. What is, what is love anyway? And as he was thinking that, his head dropped on the ground, and some fanatic Christian wrote on the ground, in the dirt, God is love. Now, I don't know if any of you ever practiced such tactics. But that guy, because of those three words, God is love, thought of a person that had witnessed to him, called him up, came to church that Wednesday night, went home that night. He says, the way he says it is, I went home with my new friend Jesus. You know, Joe has been saved now for eight years. He's still waiting for withdrawals to come, he tells me. After 12 years of pumping needles in his arm, $150 habit a day. And I want to tell you something. God will use anything if it gives out the gospel. Because the gospel, Evangelio, good news. This world is messed up so bad, we've got to give the good news. It's the power of God. Dynamite of God. It changes people from within to save them. Anybody who believes it. The Welch Revival began back in the early 1900s. Three, what was it? Four words. Get right with God. Was that it? Four words. They printed this little track and just spread it everywhere. Get right with God. And God, through the prayer of the godly people and these little pieces of paper everywhere, God began to stir the hearts of people. And God will take your life. He doesn't care if it's a hippie like Vicky or 
a hippie like Tom. He doesn't care if you grew up in a Christian home. He doesn't mind. He'll use you. And there's so many other stories. I just, I just feel that I, I just want to jump out of my shell here and just come out, out to you and just kind of shake you a little bit and say, Hey, do you know the power that you've got? Do you realize what you've got? That God entrusted you with the gospel? That there is a vision that God gave you to give to the rest of the world? There is a message from God that He entrusted us with. And He said to take it everywhere we go and make disciples of this whole world. And as we go, to preach to them. I did it in New York City. I began. We've been there. We're going to still continue to be there. We've got about a thousand people coming out in our church right now. We've planted five other churches. And my goal for the next ten years is a hundred churches. And we're going to need some of you to come out there and do it. Don't go to suburbia only. Jesus in Matthew 9 went to the cities and villages. Don't forsake the cities. When I read about Peter fishing all day long, and I don't want to get spiritualizing here, but I kind of tend to think that fish were a picture of people when he said, hey, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll show you who to fish for. And uh, Peter was fishing, caught nothing, and Jesus told him, hey, go to the deep water. Go where the fish are. Let me show Drop the net where I tell you where there's multitudes of fish. And I think the cities are just kind of abandoned because of the pressures, because of the dangers, because it's going to cost us something. Maybe my family. How am I going to send my children to school? You know, you can use every one of those negatives in a positive way. We started a school. We've got 350 students in our school. We don't advertise. But there's a waiting list to get in because it's a Christian day school. And people want to put their children with our children. We started it for our children. Every, every ministry we have, we, we began basically to meet the need of people. Because there was a great need there. And I believe that the cities are just waiting to be evangelized. When you read Matthew chapter 5 and it says a city set on a hill. It doesn't say a suburb. Does it? doesn't say, a, 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 it says polis, a city. It was a big city set on a hill. We need, to, we need to go to the cities. We need to go and let our light shine. We need to turn on the light. And I believe the light is ineffective unless it's in the right place. You got to put it in the right place. And the right place for the light that the church has is in the world, it says there. And so few people are going where the darkness is. And the cities is where the darkness is. The darkness is so great there. Satan is so powerful in those places that unless we go with the light, we will not see the power of God in defeating the darkness. You know, he shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot pull it down, cannot overpower it, cannot defeat it. And we have to go and see the great power that God has given us in going. I want to challenge you to come. We're planning this summer a project called Project Light. It stands for Light is Giving His Truth. We're trying to get a thousand teenagers to come when they unveil the Statue of Liberty. And we want to preach the gospel, give out His truth during that week from all over the country. We also need some people to do some preparatory work and also some follow-up discipleship work after the that one week is over because we want to evangelize. In the morning, there'll be discipleship classes. All day, there'll be witnessing and going out. And then at night, there'll be evangelism taking place by strong preaching and getting people converted, saved, there'll be a testimony time after that where people can share the different experiences that they've been having throughout the day. And we're planning this in conjunction with the college and with the, with the church and some other things that are going on right here. We want to challenge you because some of you may have never tasted that kind of a ministry. Maybe you'd like to go and never had the opportunity. Well, here's your chance. You know, you are God's mouthpiece.
You really are. In Greece, uh, one summer I was preaching there, and I went up to two guys, and I gave them a track and to show you the power of God and how he works. If we'll, we'll just go out. I gave him a track, and the guy just pushed it away. He threw it down. Actually, he knocked it out of my hand, and he was a real cool, tough Greek, you know, with the worry beads and all. I mean, he just not work walking around. I don't know if you've ever seen him. And they walking around, and he said, you know, in Greek, meaning, get out of here. Don't bother me. And I just, you know, that challenges me. When somebody acts like that, it's like saying to a hungry dog, go get him. So I did. And I thought, now what am I going to do, God? I'm going to get him. So I went right up to them. I grabbed the two of them by the hand. They were, you know, right in the middle. And I turned them around, and I grabbed them and turned them around. I said, are you guys prepared to die? I got their attention, to say the least. And they just stopped. They backed off like this. And they said, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's this? I said, I just want to talk to you about some things that are important. He says, all right, come on, come, we'll, we'll go to the coffee shop. They went there. About 15 minutes later, they told me that they had just come from the wreck of their car. They were going around a corner. It flipped three times, smashed into the wall. They walked out untouched. And I come along and ask them if they're prepared to die. Now, let me tell you, there are people waiting for you. There are people waiting with the vision, with the message that God has put on us, has entrusted us, that we need to get out to the world, that we need to challenge these millions of people. I think of the, 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 the world and the countries of the world. A billion people in China? I mean, you think of 700, 800,000 people in India? You think of the 49 million people in Turkey and 100 Christians? You think of the 10 million in Greece and 12,000 so-called evangelicals of any kind of denomination. Saudi Arabia, no Christians that we know of. You can go on and on and on and we think we're really making it. We think we're evangelizing the world. We think we're really doing it. The people are sitting in darkness and we're holding the light. And we're not going out with it as we ought to go. The burden is on us. You and I have a great task to reach our country, our world, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's ours to give to them. It's God's. He entrusted it to us to give to them. Now, somebody gave it to you and I. We need to go out and give it to them. I think of people like Leon, Dill Leon Dillinger in Newsweek magazine. A, a couple of years ago, he was on the front cover out in New Guinea. I met him at Word of Life, and he shared with me how he went out to New Guinea. Thousands of people, hundreds of churches all over New Guinea, because of Leon Dillinger, he was willing to go out. A girl named Sophie Miller got saved in a street meeting in New York City. And Jack Wurtson was, was preaching. She got saved. I, I received a tape from her last year. And she speaks in perfect 33rd, 3rd Street English. You know, I mean, she's, I mean, New York girl. She never lost her accent 45 years out in Colombian jungles. And just like she comes from New York City. You know, I mean, it was unbelievable. I heard, I said, I can't believe this. Do you know that woman went to a place where nobody had ever gone because the people there, were the men would get killed. And the only reason she's alive because the Indians there said, ah, she's a woman. What could she do? And you know that little woman and what she did? There's over twenty to 30,000 Indians in the jungles right now that are born again. They come to meetings, unbelievable churches everywhere because one little lady took the gospel out. The jungles of Africa, I rather, uh, Colombia. And that story can repeat it repeated on and on and on. Joseph Tsong. I was just recently in Romania preaching in the largest Baptist church in Europe. And this place has got, what, 2,700 2, 2, 2, people. I was in a 700 seat. How many people here? 500? Something like that? 400? 
300? I can't tell. Anyway, but this place was, you couldn't seat any more than 750 people, 25 to 2,700 people in that place, packed. Every aisle was people, old people standing there like this with big old smiles on their face. It was the most beautiful sight you ever saw. And you know, that church came out of a spirit that was willing to die to get this message out. They told the founder of that church, they told the preacher rather of that church, Joseph Tsung, who had studied in Oxford and gone back to reach his people, they told him, we're going to take your life. And he, and he said this. He said, your greatest power is to take my life. My greatest power is to give it. And we need to have that kind of spirit in getting the gospel out. And until we do, I don't think we're going to reach places like New York or the city that God calls you to go to. The village, the town that God calls you to go to. Whether you're going to be a businessman or woman. Whether you're going to be a housewife or a pastor, an evangelist a doctor, a teacher, you've got one mission on planet earth to evangelize the rest of this world and make disciples to Jesus Christ. That's your goal. That's why he's left us here. And I'm just encouraging you to come on. Hey, let's do what the bird did. If a bird could do it, we could do it. Let's do what the dog did. How about a garbage can? I mean, we can just be there and when somebody comes along, we can just give them the gospel. Even if you're faithful when they come and ask you, hey, who are you? You sound like a Christian. Don't be ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God on the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. I'm so glad that God saved me. I'm so glad that he reached down and touched my life and that he's doing that with all kinds of people back in New York City. It's wonderful to come out here and sense the, the wonderful spirit at Grace Church, at the uh, pastor's conference that they've had, the shepherd's conference, to come out here. Don't tune me off. Wait a minute, I'm not finished. Some of you are just getting ready to do that. It's really great to be here, but you know what? All this preaching means nothing until you do something with it. Really. Until you commit yourself and say, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why aren't we on fire? Why aren't we on fire? I mean, we know what we what the what the real battle is why aren't we on fire you know i've been analyzing this for many years now maybe five years i've been thinking through why colleges churches places that i've gone to really don't take this thing seriously i did i was a rock and roll musician i had all kinds of worldly things to live for i had all kinds of plans and aspirations and all of a sudden i died and christ began to take my plans and give me a whole new set of plans why aren't people uh, willing to say, okay, Lord, anything you want, anywhere you want, whatever you want, with whoever you want, God, I'll do it. And I, I give three reasons, and the, the, the three reasons are given to us in the book of Revelation. Please turn to it in the last four minutes that we've got. I want to give them to you. It begins with verse 14, chapter 3, and it ends with the rest of the chapter. And there basically it says... I know your works. You're neither hot or cold. Now, God knows us through and through. If we're his children, he knows us by name, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He knows what we do in our spare time. He knows what we think about. He knows the programs we watch on television. He knows the books we've read, the study that we do, the prayer that we do. He knows the people we've spoken to. He knows all of it. And he's talking to a Laodicean church. Laos means people. Dikia is righteous or rights. I kind of tend to call this church the church that wants their own rights. And he talks to this church and he gives them reasons why they're lukewarm. They're not on fire. 
I mean, they're just not. And he says, you, you nauseate me. You ought to be on fire, but you're not. It's not their teaching. Well, that's okay. It's not their, it's not their works. They're involved in all kinds of good stuff. But their value system is out of whack. And that's the first point he hits. He says, hey, why don't you come and buy gold from me, refined? Is that verse 17, refined with fire? Is that what it is? It says, come and buy gold, refined with fire. Chapter 3, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I think that's we need to get back to our value system. What really is important is it is it, does god want you to build a huge a super church if you're going into the pastor is that what you think is going to fulfill you some of you girls you say well when i meet my you know lancelot oh he's going to come on a white horse and he's going to just swoop me and i'm going to oh i'm going to have children and i'm going to be fulfilled is that what's going to fulfill you having a home and a beautiful husband and a I mean, everything's going to, he's going to be spiritual, he's going to be rich, he's going to be handsome, he's going to be everything you ever wanted. Then you'll be fulfilled. You're wrong. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be in a house, it's not going to be in a car, it's not going to be in a man, it's not going to be in a, in a, in a ministry or, a, or some kind of job. No, we are fulfilled, it says in the Colossians 2.10 in Christ. The day I got saved, I was fulfilled. The day I met Jesus, I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have to marry Vicky. I didn't have to have children. I didn't have to have a ministry for myself. I was fulfilled, thoroughly fulfilled in Christ. The day I met Him. And we can never lose sight of that because then we're going to always be looking for the next thing to make us perfect and complete. So let's look at our value system. It isn't the cars. It isn't the houses. We need to realize that the worth of a soul is a lot more than all of that. What is a profit of man to gain the world and lose his soul? Don't be like Aristotle and Asses when he died, $500 million in the bank. He said, I'm leaving empty. And, and his daughter Christina was quoted in a Greek newspaper. She says, now I understand money can't buy happiness. Or how much money did uh, Howard Hughes leave? He left all of it, didn't he? You can't take any of it with you. But you can't send it ahead, someone said. And then our virtue, and that's just the next progression. It's, he says, come and get some clean garments from me. And that's the church description today. It's dirty, it's filthy, it's rotten. The programs, the Christian programs are rotten. The stuff that Christians are doing are filthy. Pastors, you hear pastors that have divorced their wives, that are messing around with other women, that are still preaching. I can't understand it because a church is lukewarm. It's filthy. Dirty garments. And I believe that's the reason that we don't have the fire. And then... The final thing, and what I want to leave with you is a vision. He says, come and get some ice off to anoint your eyes so you could see properly and have a vision. And there's a reason why people aren't looking at the cities. I think their value system's messed up. I think their virtues are rotten and filthy. And that's, be and that, that's why it leads to no vision. And they don't, wanna, they don't see the world like Christ did. When he was rich, he became poor. And so through his poverty, we could become rich. He was willing to leave the position and the, all that stuff that he had in glory. Who knows how, how much he had? But he was willing to add upon all of that, a humanity, and uh, limit himself in time and space, limit himself to pain, and limit himself to servitude, and do all the things that, that are down here. And I think then we'll get a vision if those things are right, and we better be on fire because God says we'll not be effective in this life if we're not. He says, I'll take your light out. You're not going to be effective. You're not going to be able to do anything that the world will see and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, he says get with it. 
And so I challenge you. I leave this challenge with you. Where there is no vision, the people do perish. Where there is no vision, the people do perish. We've got drug programs for guys that are messed up. God has miraculously provided things. and I, I, You know, the, just time does not avail itself to get, get into everything. But I want to leave you. And I'm an evangelist. I'm not like Pastor John here. I'm an evangelist. There's a different emphasis in my ministry. And I want to... Uh, he, he's a teacher. And I'm a teacher too. But not, not the teacher that, that I want to be. And, uh, but God has put evangelism on my heart in a very special way. And that's the way I see everything in my ministry. Not to say that he is not an evangelist. But I'm just, that's my special thing that I want to leave with you. What about your friend next door? What about your mom and dad? Are they saved? How many of you have moms and dads that are lost? Let me see your hands. Uh, look at that all around. And boy, you should gang up together and, and pray together for those moms and dads and get them saved. I thank God he saved my mom and dad. My dad died two years ago. I thank God he saved my brother and sister. My relatives are coming to Christ one by one. My grandma and my granddad. It's so wonderful to know Vicky's still working on her mom and dad. It's been 17 years they have rejected the gospel. But you know, that's, that's something you guys need to pray about, your mom and dad. And then maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you've, you know, it's just you're going to school, but, and you want to do something with your life. And you're kind of here, you know, this is great to be here, but something's missing. And maybe, maybe you just need to check yourself and make sure you're in the faith. Examine yourself and see if Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail the test. I know Christ is in me. I met him. He changed my life. And I would hate to leave this place and, and still have, you know, one or two or three or whatever of young men and women that slip out of eternity to the wrong place. And so I want to challenge you as we pray today. I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you want to get into this program of Project Light this summer, you want to talk to Jeff uh, or uh, Russ, rather. And uh, uh, you need to you need to maybe make a decision today if you feel that you can do it financially you feel that you can do it maybe your mom and dad would think it'd be a good idea for you to go to do something like that or maybe you look at yourself and say hey that's the kind of thing i need to get involved in maybe today you can make a decision to to come this summer and be a part of that one month project there's so many other things we can deal with but that'd be a great decision to make to help reach new york city in a significant way if god will work all things out i mean we don't know what tomorrow holds but we can kind of plan to go a certain way, can't we? And so that's one thing I want to ask you. Another thing is if there's somebody that's lost here, I want to pray in a moment. And I don't want you to feel embarrassed. I don't want you to feel uh, pushed. Or I'm glad somebody stopped me and said, hey, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? I'd be going to hell right now. I'd be lost forever. And so I just want to just appeal to your conscience today. If you, As you pray with me and God just prompts your heart, to just do something about that in prayer with him. Let's let's pray. Now, Father, I just want to thank you for the great family you've brought me into. I, I don't deserve to be a child of God. I'm just so grateful that Jesus Christ died for me and my sin. I'm grateful that you not only saved me, God, but you saved Vicky. And uh, what can I say? But I'm so glad that I'm your child and that Jesus Christ has accepted even me into the family of God. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice, your death on Calvary's cross for me. Lord, if there's someone here without you, would you please put your loving arms around them? God, don't let them feel intimidated. Don't let them feel any wrong thoughts or feelings, but may they just sense the love of God, that you care so much about them. I don't care if it's hypocrisy or if it's lust or if it's 
homosexuality, whatever it is in a person's life that keeps them bound to sin, that they might be today able to say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I pray you'll move upon their heart even now to say, Jesus, save me. I'm wondering, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would like to pray with uh, one of the uh, teachers, one of myself, John and Patricia, I know any one of us would be glad to talk uh, with you. And I'm going to just take about 15 seconds to just wait for you to just slip out of where you are and find a a room back uh, behind a place. No one's going to be looking around. We just want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you to come to Christ. Is there anybody like that right here, right now, that would say, I need him. I'm not going to mess around with this anymore. I need to be saved before I die and go to hell. I just need him. And I want to get saved today. I want to make sure of this thing in my life. I need to repent. I need to change. I need to stop living in sin. Would you right now just slip up, get up from where you are, and just come on, come on up here. And let's talk together. Let's pray together. Let's deal with this thing together right now. Is there anyone? I know I'm not making it easy, but I'm giving you an opportunity to come. Come on. If you if you sense an emptiness, come. Just another few seconds. Just slip out and come. We're not going to intimidate you. We're not going to embarrass you. We love you. We really do. Would you just slip out and come quietly? I know that was a great struggle for this dear, dear friend right here. Uh, You know, these doubts could knock you out. You may already be a Christian and you've got a mind full of doubts. Why live with those things? Why be defeated? Why not settle it? Just no no music or anything. Just quietness of this moment. Slip out and say, hey, I want to get rid of all these doubts. What's the point in living with doubt and fear and going to a Christian school and not knowing where you're going to spend eternity and wondering, going to sleep, am I really saved? I wonder, you, know, you don't want to embarrass yourself. And, hey, forget that. When you stand before the judgment seat, when you stand before there, it'll be too late. That's not the time to do it. Any others along with this one? All right. Let's look up here. Well, you sensed the pressure, didn't you? I did. I sensed it. And uh, in in, uh, in uh, closing, how many of you guys feel like you can do the job of a dog? Anybody here? How many of you guys feel like you can do the job of a bird? Anybody? I think I can. I can do that. Maybe you want to join us in this project for New York. How many would think maybe if God worked it out for you to come, you would like to get in this project? Could I, could I just see a raise of hands? Well, look at that. Russ, that's a lot of people. And if you would see Russ, if you would work out the details, I'm sure that uh, they would work them out. And then, and then too, if you've got a question about your soul, don't, don't go to sleep tonight without settling that thing. If I had more time, I'd, I'd just share some more. But I've already gone 10 minutes overtime. Thank you, John. Appreciate it.